This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what was the very first computer hack and how did it happen? It was a long time ago, by the way. Hank the White Hacker helps us understand some of the most famous hacks in history and how cybersecurity has changed since and come a long way for us. On the Millennial on the Radio, we pay tribute to Matthew Perry. Plus, Ryan's horror movie marathon continues with a review of Fight Night. And are you okay with AI music? And what about bets? Betting. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. All righty, it's time for us to dig into the spooky world of internet bad things with Hank the Hacker. System breach. What just happened? Someone hacked me. All right, Hank the Hacker is here, a white hat hacker, much like a locksmith. They check the locks, they make sure everything's safe, they try to find if they can break into your computers, into your network, into your business. It's become an integral part of the internet today, and it's not IT service. I can tell you this, if you, uh, if your boss or your staff tell you that, oh no, Joe from IT, eh, he's got this. Nope. I'm sure Joe's a nice guy. Cybersecurity is a completely different game than IT security. Hank, tell us the difference between an IT person and a cybersecurity person. Just create that distinction. You know, I, I get that question all the time, and especially when uh, we're approaching doing something like a pen test, which is uh, like a hacking engagement or a ha ethical hacking engagement. But... Um, you know the difference with with IT and and the ethical hacker is IT is is very good at building a well-oiled machine and one that runs really reliably but there's always um i guess what the hacker comes in and does is they're the stress tester where you have in the industrial scene and manufacturing you have the stress tester the the ethical hacker is kind of the guy that goes in and sees how far can that server bend until it breaks, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and always with a good good mindset or, or kind of like a locksmith coming in and uh, checking things out just to let you know where, where the holes might lie. And that's important because you need to know if your staff are prepared or not prepared, and that's quite often what they do. They will send out emails saying, hey, you've won 50 bucks. Click here for your... Click here for your free gift card, enter your email credentials. Maybe that's too simplistic, but it works and it does happen. And um, this is the way that things go and it protects businesses and so much more. Now, Hank, we talk about this a lot now. We talk about this in today's world now. It's new to most people now. Viruses on the computers, 15, 20 years maybe. This, this game goes back a long time ago, and I think it's kind of spooky for everybody here about how long ago the first internet hack started. Yeah, absolutely. And and just quickly diving a little bit back into phishing simulations, it is startling how, you know, I, I run these ethical phishing simulations and we'll get like a 12% click rate usually. And so it, it's very important to be 
um, cautious when you're reading your emails and for, for companies to kind of implement some kind of a training, uh, you know, a training mm -hmm. scenario for employees. I'll write but, you a phishing campaign. I'll get you. I, I I'll let me. I'll let me work my. Th I'll write you a fishing campaign. We'll we'll get hired. I, I'll actually take even. suggestions with an open open arms because after writing them so many times, believe it or not, you start to get like, you start to sit there and think, what what's a good campaign to try and teach people how to recognize fishing? Yeah, um, I, I will do. I'll do a great one with you. We'll do a fun one. I, I always think of the scams, like you said, where it's a promise for some kind of money. And mm -hmm. when I think back to one of the very first hacks that ever happened, I call it a hack, but um, people might argue that it was one of the first um, telecommunication scams in history. And uh, But it was in the 1830s, and it was two French brothers who pulled off basically the first um, man in the middle attack in history where they were basically taking advantage of the optical telegraph, basically a line of semaphore towers stretching across uh, hilltops in, in Paris. And they were able to, to trick the Paris stock exchange system into basically leaking information to them so that they could make a lot of money. They could make investments and, and different things. And again, what was kind of one of the first man in, in the middle attacks in history where they were able to, there was a little bit of bribery involved, but they were able to basically send error, error signals or error messages down this line of telegraph towers. And then that signaled them to be able to have enough time to make an investment based on that error until the new message came down the telegraphs. And it's 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 weird because you see the very first method used in hacking ever and when i read about this story i it, i can't help but think it's similar to these stories i'm hearing where people will actually go to sports matches and they'll make bets before um like a slower game official can enter the data into a, an official betting database um, and they're making thousands of dollars. And so it's mm -hmm. it's funny because a lot of these old hacking techniques, and I'll even reference Stuxnet here, are even relevant nowadays, like right now. Well, that's interesting because it, the push to have everything be real time is, is a big deal. We used to run into that all the time with radio contesting, and I think most people will relate to this, is that we used to do contests on the radio, where you'd like, you know, be caller number nine now, right? With internet buffering, though, at the time, we were pushing so many people to listen online at work. And then so what happened was, is they would call in, but they were listening online at work. They could be 45 seconds behind, right? And then people were upset that they weren't able to call yeah. in and win the concert tickets. Now, that technology has changed a lot today. That Buffering is a thing, by the way, but it's sort of the opposite of what you're saying in, in that there are so many situations where real time matters and if you go to hockey games today now there used to be a game sheet that they would enter it in and there was a stats person would enter it in but now it's usually ipad it's instant as soon as you do it the time of the game is running on your app when you're watching it it used to be active server protocol i don't know what it is anymore but um but the 
but I mean, that, that's a big deal. And if you imagine things like the stock market or, or like game betting, you could really, really have an impact if you could sneak your way in there. Now, this is sports. This isn't computer hacking, but the, the spirit of how can I break into this? How can I interrupt this? How can I use this to my benefit? I mean, that's, that's sort of human nature. We see that in all things. We see it in people with, running red lights and rolling at stop signs. And we're always starting sort of trying to, like you said, stress test the system. You know, it, it, it's funny because uh, you, you look all the way back at, at 1988 and I think it's 1988, November 2nd. It was the, the very first worm that was ever created. And we look at a, a sports betting scenario where time is critical and we you you can also look at that in in computer terms with hacking i i mean i guess that's obvious that time is critical like however many days pass that a ransomware attack hits but in this case um this was the first worm ever created the first uh, computer worm ever created and it was made by a cornell university graduate named uh, robert morris hence the name morris worm <laughs> But the, the worm basically exploited weak passwords. And when he launched this worm at, I think it was around 8 p.m., 8.30 p.m. On, on November 2nd, 1988, it started proliferating like crazy through a system that was basically what, what was at the time called the Advanced Research Projects Agency Network, or ARPANET. So this was right before the internet, and uh, it, it was basically a computer network that was designed for educational research purposes and whatnot. But when he launched this attack, the FBI had started investigating, and Robert Morris had felt bad, or he probably even felt a little bit worried, um, and he, he reached out to try and fix the problem before it could continue and get any any worse. But because so much time had passed the the problem had become so bad that the network had slowed down so much they couldn't actually implement uh, or most of them couldn't even see his message offering to try and fix it and because it was sent um on from actually mit's network massachusetts institute of technology's network it ended up hitting some pretty prestigious networks. Like it, it compromised Harvard, Princeton, Berkeley, Stanford, Johns Hop Hopkins, NASA, hmm. um, a, a pretty, so pretty big tech, list. Pretty tech play. Well, I guess they would be that techy for 1988 to have a network that's dial up yeah. like that, that they could get on it. Now by worm, you mean like that used to be a virus that used to spread itself. What well, that was basically what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the scary thing with time passing is that worm. It basically, the more time that passes, the more uh, people that get hit. And we saw something kind of similar in 2017, again, with these these old methods being repeated and, and super relevant. We saw it in 2017 with WannaCry, the ransomware attack that was kind of spreading like wildfire around the world. Um, but, you know, to me, this stresses the at the very basic point the importance of a strong password like um you know not just unit 1b15 but maybe unit 1b15 i am become destruction bringer of death like a quote with some very unique 
um, code on the front of your password. So it becomes your own, but very hard to predict. Yeah, and it, just for the sake of passwords and the spirit of creating a good password, like phrases you say, uh, phrases that matter to you are a good thing. Um, you know, your dog's name, not such a good thing. Go lie down, Fido might be a better thing. Yeah. Uh, I like to leave one letter out of out of my words. And not all the words, but I, I have my own. I'm not going to share it on here, but, you know, I would say take the first word or whatever, and I'll leave one letter out of the word. And I still do the phrase. So I just, I just, that's one of the things that I always do. There's always a letter left out. So there, there's no word for you to, there's no word for you to anticipate. It would take a machine to be scanning through attempts to, to try to get into that. I, I actually really like your hesitance to even say a hint at, at one of the patterns that you might use because it's always important that you even make that pattern not predictable because if mm -hmm. that gets compromised through another website getting hacked and now you have passwords leaked online and that's a very predictable pattern, then it, like you said, if it's like a dog's name or something, it becomes pretty easy um, for a hacker to, to guess that. I, uh, well, I saw, I even had someone, uh, you know, call it out. Someone tried to reset my Instagram password this weekend. You know, okay. that happens to me with this show and the profile of the show. Those kinds of things happen almost every week or two, right? Where something like that happens. I, I actually got one of those a uh, couple weeks ago where someone tried to reset my Facebook password and I got the little code, like the security mm -hmm. code in my email. Mm -hmm. Definitely avoid those emails with a six foot pole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't do any of these, you know, go don't click on the links just kind of go check them out yourself somewhere else and on yeah. another device is a great idea just for the record um okay looking back in history some spooky spooky hacks from way back in the day the first one 1988 hank has there for us now that was not the internet that was just a private network that somebody yeah. got in on i mean you're talking pretty prestigious places 1999 though um you know, things started to change. People were online now. People were starting to poke around and try to steal stuff. So from 1999 forward, what are we looking at? I, You know, I think that's when the Wild West really kind of uh, happened because you got to remember, again, the first, like, graphical user interface for the Internet, I, I think it came out in 1993. So... Six years later, we've got um, people are kind of starting to feel comfortable in this new technology. And um, we actually like one of the big stories that I, I think of is is about Jonathan James. He was a, a 15 year old kid who um, he got, you know, he, actually me and him have a lot of similarities, but he got. Uh, really into hacking and, and computers in general and basically uh, even learned a little bit of um, C programming language. Um, but when he was really young, when he was 15 years old, he basically kept compromising different companies and he would actually, in some cases, he would tell their security teams uh, how to how he had gotten in and how to fix it. So like an early day um, cowboy pen tester, if you will, like he would go in and do the pen test without any permission at all, which is completely illegal um, even back then. Uh, but he ended up 
um, hacking NASA, and he even also compromised the Department of Defense at at one point, um, and becoming the first youth ever charged for a cyber crime in in North America. So it was really interesting uh, seeing, you know, when you look back, then even a fifteen year old was able to learn enough to compromise some really prestigious networks. Again, we're seeing NASA on this list, which I, I would, you kind of look at something like NASA and think that's unhackable, but the, the further you go back in time, uh, the more you see incidents like this. And, and again, I reference Stuxnet because it's one of my, my favorite hacks ever, uh, where they had to hack a computer network that was not connected to the internet. Wow. That's amazing. Um, but again, again, it's, it's, it's the, the, the scammy scamness of it, right? It's the ability to really scam people and get access to things that you would not normally have access to. It's quite impressive when you think about it. You talked about a 15 year old there, Hank. Tell me about that because, uh, programmers that are older, maybe 50 or 60 today that have been around since the very beginning, they've walked their way through every programming language in between. They understand the nuts and bolts of all the bits and pieces. I would go back to say that it's like a person who learned how to drive a manual car. You make better decisions in certain situations because you, you know, versus someone who might have never driven a manual car. And I go back to when I was DJing, I learned how to DJ on vinyl. Right. So it was a lot different. A lot of young people today don't have that same sort of tactile experience. Now, it doesn't mean they're not good DJs or good hackers. It doesn't mean, you know, they're not good drivers. But the experience must be so different for someone who has literally learned every language in between. Now, today you have AI robots and tutorials that these other people didn't have. So who's the better hacker? You know, I when when I think of youth and, and hacking or cybersecurity in particular, I get, I get super excited because, uh, I always tell people like, I, you know, I, I look forward to the future and a part of making a really strong future in cybersecurity is, uh, is making us kind of educating our youth in cybersecurity and making sure that they thrive in that. And, one of the ways that we can do that is by gamifying it or making it interesting for them, which is something that I kind of had the opportunity of doing uh, when we would teach them how to build little hacking tools and kind of teach them the repercussions at the same time. But, um, you know, as time passes, like if you take me, for example, um, I, I got, I was born three years after that like I said, three years after that first graphical user interface for the, the internet came out. And then you look at now, I've spent most of my life on the computer and hacking and learning cyber. But if you look at someone who was born completely into this technology, and that was all they were exposed to, um, if that was their passion from a very, very young age, even younger than I was, then you're going to very soon have hackers and cybersecurity professionals, both on the good side and the bad side, that are much better or, or much more experienced than some of the people that we're even seeing today or seeing right now. This might be way too Star Wars of me. 
<laughs> but in Star Wars, Ryan's going to be really proud right now. In Star Wars, they, you know, you talk about the Jedi and you teach everybody the tricks and you trust that they've got the integrity to live into the good. You go teach everyone the tricks of being a locksmith. You trust that they're going to be a locksmith and be into everything that's good. You trust the, the guy who builds the programming for the key for the car. You trust that they're going to be into the integrity of everything good. Is that the same thing as hackers? You've just, you've got to teach them and you, you got to hope the integrity is there and, and make sure everybody fits the mold. Is, is it, are we talking about more about healthy humans than we are about technology? I'm, I'm kind of internally laughing my butt off here, but, um, it's absolutely like that because I've taught, so I've taught many different classes where I'm sitting in front of people and teaching them cybersecurity. And I mean, we would teach everything we, we taught, uh, you know, all the way from ethics, like I said, to actually running ethical hacking engagements. And I used to do this really fun, well, I, I, I called it fun, but I used to do this really fun exercise with my students where everyone would kind of pick someone in the class out of people that volunteered and we would go online and we would do what's called OSINT on that, that student. And what OSINT is, is open source intelligence. So basically like anything you can find on Google or YouTube and stuff like that. And I was sitting teaching a class of like 20 students and they all picked me that day. I, I I didn't expect them to pick me. I hadn't had a class all vote on me before, but um, as a rule, I made it so I can only use Google. And I went on there, we found my YouTube channel, we found emails, leaked passwords, blah, blah, blah. But uh, eventually we landed on a licensing portal where we were able to log in with one of those exposed passwords we found, and it actually showed my SIN number to the oh. entire class. And I didn't expect that because it was a platform that I hadn't used for a very long time. Wow. So in front of this, this class, of, and it was a remote class, so it was all taught remotely over a shared screen of like 20-plus, you know, to-be hackers... I showed my SIN number and all my info and I very quickly, I tried to hide it, but I said to them, this is the first time you're going to find yourself exercising your ethical muscle. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> because, right? Cause now's your chance. Yeah. Luckily, um, I, you know, nothing ever came of that and it turned out it, it was a class full of ethical hackers, but you're right. It, it's, it, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. And, and that's one of the reasons that when we're teaching this, we stress the ethics of it. Yeah, so incredibly important and fascinating, too. You know, cybersecurity is an important part of our world. It's going to become, if it's not already, uh, Canada is way late to this game. I mean, a lot of this game's been happening in Europe for a long time, but Canada is years behind. Um, what's been going on elsewhere in the world in protecting from this stuff. But regardless, it, it is fascinating. And You've got to learn how to do it. You got to learn how to go and, and drive. I mean, I suppose that's another example. Race car drivers still need to learn how to drive and they get taught how to drive race cars. The question is, are they going to follow the speed limits when they're not in their race car? And, and that, that's humanity. And this is where it always comes back to for me, man. We don't have a technology problem. We have a healthy human problem. And some of those humans are trying to get into your Spotify so they can steal your credit card or, 
or whatever. It's fascinating That's stuff. Now, these stories from back in the day are so incredibly important, and they matter so much. We're going to continue this conversation. If you have any questions for Hank, just go to shiftheads.ca. Rebuilt that page over the weekend, by the way, for some easier access to things. And you can go to shiftheads.ca on your smartphones or on your computer, and you can uh, just ask Hank on the Facebook group. Tag him. We'll address it here. Hank the Hacker, thanks for being here, bro. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This is the Shift Podcast. The Millennial on the radio. It's Ryan O'Donnell. Well, Ryan, before you get started, I wanted to sort of hijack a little bit of time as a, a Gen Xer and uh, and talk about a show that impacted my life. But it was so good that it impacted millennials, too. But out of respect for you, and it's your thing. Yeah. Fair game. Go ahead. Do it up. Friends, Matthew Perry changed the generation, changed the pants people wore, changed the haircuts people had. It changed everything. And over the course of the weekend, this weekend, obviously, sad news about um, Chandler Bing. Perry, according to the Los Angeles Times and TMZ, was found in his Los Angeles home after drowning in a hot tub. He was 54 years old. Perry became one of Hollywood's most recognizable actors during his 10 seasons on Friends. Unknown at the time was his struggle with addiction. Perry grew up in Ottawa and went to school with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The PM reacted to Perry's passing on X, calling it shocking and saddening. Now, uh, he didn't uh, drown in a hot tub, just to be clear. He was found in a hot tub, and the cause of death is not known. Got to clarify that. It seems to be in all the reports all over the place, but the last report, and Ryan, you can clarify that, right? Like, they they did an an initial autopsy. They could not determine cause of death. Now Mm -hmm. they got to do a proper one. That's it, yeah? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's basically it. Yeah, that's all we have. All right, so um, let's uh, let's take it from there. You can take over here, Ryan. I know it was a show that I grew up with, but it was a show that was so popular. You probably watched a lot of it, I'm guessing. Um, but with your, you know, your mom and all things friends, it really took over everything. Yeah. It, oh, it was like my mom's like it was her life. She loved that show. Personally, yeah. I've only ever seen it in the context of my mom watching it. It's not really my thing. I don't like uh, sitcoms that have laugh tracks, but it's like, it's not really for an issue with friends. I also haven't watched Seinfeld for the same reason. Um, mm. But which is a weird reason to not watch a show, by the way. I don't know. I, I, I stand by, I can't stand laugh tracks. It's like, a, I don't know. I'll stand by that, <laughs> but, yeah, but it's not the, about the laugh track. It's about the show, right? Like you, you, the writing of the show, the characters, of the show, I mean, all the things that you talk about with Steve is that, you know, it's about the, the creativity and the writing and all the bits. I mean, to me, I just, the laugh track is cheesy and dumb. The rest of it was great. Yeah. And look, I've seen lots of examples of great writing and namely great performances. Look, like Matthew's comedic timing is special. Like that is something that doesn't get talked about enough with many comedians is, you know, can you can deliver a joke, but if you don't get the timing right, it's all gone. And so here I have a, a, a little gathering of some of, Matthew Perry's funniest moments on the Friends TV show and just pay close attention to just his delivery and the expert pinpoint precision he uses in delivering every single one of those lines. Anybody know a good tailor? You need some clothes altered? No, no. I'm just looking for a man to draw on me with chalk. (laughs) Why don't you go see Frankie? My family's been going to him forever. 
You did my first suit when I was 15. No, wait. 16. No. Excuse me. 15. All right, when was 1990? Okay, you have to stop the Q-tip when there's resistance. We'll flip for it. Ducks or clowns? Oh, we're going to flip for the baby? You got a better idea? All right, call it in here. Heads. Heads it is. Yes. We have to assign heads to something. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, ducks is heads because ducks have heads. kind of scary-ass clowns came to your birthday? <laughs> he let it breathe, you know? Like, he used... He was also a really good physical comedian. He was very expressive, and it just... He nailed it. Every time he was on screen, every clip I've seen, and it's everybody's favorite character from what I've heard about the show, is just... It's Chandler. And so... And, and it's interesting when you talk about this show in the context of millennials, because there are the millennials who watched this show when they were younger because there are millennials who are in their 40s now and there are also millennials closer to my age who weren't really watching the show when it was on tv but their parents were when they were really young and then just like how i've watched parks and recreation and the office a million times gen x have watched friends a million times it's a show that you find comfort in you enjoy the little moments in it and our parents would watch the show over and over again, put it on while they're cooking, the same way I put Parks and Recreation on every time I cook. And that's how, you know, this show kind of changed generations. And you're right, Shane, about it changing everything, fashion, haircuts. Uh, that was the impact Matthew had on comedy, on television, and as well, his uh, honesty in his uh, battles with addiction and, and kind of his memoir, which we'll talk about later in the show, uh, him coming to the realization of how big of a platform he had and how he could use it to help other people that might be dealing with addiction. I have immense respect for that, for Matthew. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, tragic, tragic loss. Not only that, you know, he, um, he, he was very open about it once he did open up about it. And yeah. he, he shared that, you know, for three years, he doesn't even remember friends. And... I mean, there's some real dark times in his life. Like he, like he opioid use, uh, he had like a, I forget the name of it. I'm going to not get this right, but basically he had problem in his guts with his, his colon exploding. Right. Um, and that's because of opioid use and he's been open about all that stuff. And that that's where he really led differently. I did look this up by the way, Ryan, um, a text from his Josie inspired this about that laugh track thing. Friends was recorded in front of a live audience. So yeah, which is which is cool. Uh, for me, it doesn't matter if it's live or if it's taped. I don't like it on any show. It's again, it's it's not friends' fault. It's just it's my own personal preference with TV shows. That's this it. is might be something that just um, doesn't connect just because of your age. But mm. there was a time when they would record laughter on shows like Mash way back in the day. That's what a laugh track is. It was pre-recorded laughter. And so that's why Miss Josie texted and saying, well, it's not a laugh track. It was live studio audience. And that's why it was different because back in the day, there was a laugh track and it was mm -hmm. not good.
Uh, you could hear, clear. you could, especially on old Disney shows, they, you would always hear the same five laughs, especially on Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. There was, I think it's it was on Three's laughs. Company, we used to listen to, there was one lady in the laugh track that you could, it was like, ah, or like, you could put, like take it, it out. Was like, yep. ah, and so you could hear it through the show at a, different spots as they rotated through the different laugh tracks. If you listen for it, you could listen for yep. that one lady laugh that was incredibly awesome. I did save, speaking of laugh tracks, maybe we should do this. Um, the best laughs because I did save a story that I found this weekend. Um, it was from a TV show in another country where they took people with funny laughs and just put them oh, in the I same room. Oh, I know exactly room. what you're talking about. That clip? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, Jimmy Carr has a great laugh. These people put him to shame. And yes. it's uh, we, we'll, uh, we'll save that. We'll pin that, yeah, shall absolutely. we? Absolutely. Let's put a pin in it. Yes. Let's put a pin in it, right? Um, okay, so where do you want to go next? That was kind of the Gen X on the radio from the millennials delivering it. What, what do you Us want to do on next? the radio? Uh, well, you know, I know that the Shift AV Club were, were, was over. We reviewed Get Out and Monsters, Inc., but the Halloween spooky marathon is not done. It's not Halloween yet, and I watched another spooky movie, and I've got a review for you. So let's bring out that spooky wheel a couple more times, shall we? A tiny wheel actually does have spooky movies. It's so terrifying. No one seems to mind. Spooky. Spooky. Okay, I watched a movie I'd never seen before, and this is an important review because I'm going to say this. If I was ever going to get somebody to watch horror movies, this would be the movie I would show them first. It's called Fright Night, and it's from 1985. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human, something horrifying, something unspeakably evil? Fright Night. If you love being scared, this could be the night of your life. So, this is an original vampire movie. There's no Edward Cullen, Diamond Skin drama with, you know, Team Jacob. None of that. No, this is classic vampire stuff. And it lives into all the vampire stereotypes. Crucifix, Holy Water, all that stuff. At its heart, it's a weird film in that the main character is a teenager, but the kind of teenager that's just really stupid, and you yell at the TV, why are you doing this this way? Why are you doing that? And I was a little worried at first that I wasn't going to care at all, but the movie does a good job of kind of making you feel sympathetic about this kid who finds out that a vampire has moved in next door. What's cool about Fright Night is that it's got a little bit of comedy, not a lot, it actually keeps a pretty serious tone all throughout, but it's not scary at all. This movie is not scary. This movie is interesting, creative, and the finale has some really cool kind of blood and gore, kind of special effects with vampires. And if I was going to show somebody a horror movie, this would be the perfect movie. Like, you know, we've talked about the funny, hilarious, goofy horror movies. There's plenty of those, which are great options. But this is really good because it provides a kind of gateway into the genre without it being layered in kind of comedy or this is so bad it's good or you won't believe what you're watching. It's so bad. Trust me, you'll have fun watching it. No, this is actually really well done. It's got some tension. It's got a couple of moments that are a little, a little tight and a little spooky here and there. But all in all, this is a super accessible 
horror movie for people that wanted to get into the genre. And yeah, I would totally, if Shane, if you ever uh, finish watching Harry Potter, yep. I would say this would be a remarkable next step for you. Nope. Fair enough. Look, also, you talked about uh, gore in there. My dad this weekend um, had a Band-Aid on his toe, and it was bleeding, and he said, and I helped him just tidy it up because he can't, he's had a hard time reaching his feet. And then uh, he's like, hey, can you help clean that up? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I cleaned between his toes, and I got everything to help fix him up. He's like, well, let's just take that Band-Aid off and replace it. I'm like, nope, we're good. That's a job <laughs> for mom. And then uh, because I, I don't want to see it, man. I don't want to see that. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. It, there is still a, le- a layer of kind of... Un, you know the uncanny valley in in this it's also directed by the same guy who made chucky in child's play which i thought was interesting because they're oh. very different but uh, a lot of fun so tomorrow night i've got a big review i'm going to be reviewing what is supposed to be the scariest movie ever made we'll see if it holds up to that claim hint hint it the power of christ compels you is that that line ring a bell hmm hmm uh, since you said Chucky, let's take a second to salute our friends in Edmonton, one of our sister channels on FM 92.5 in Edmonton, which is The Chuck. 92.5 nice. The Chuck, Evan Chuck, great name, right? So every Friday they, they do this thing where they'll change the name of the radio station to one listener. So it'd be like Ryan 92.5, that kind of stuff, right? They have fun with that. What they did for the weekend this weekend, they did Chucky. 925 The Chucky instead of The nice. Chuck. And, um, they've kept, I think they've kept it. It looks like they've kept it through the whole weekend leading into, um, leading into Halloween. Just going to double check that. They great music. They play everything. It's fantastic. Um, but the Chucky was the thing on Friday. That's what they named it after in salute. I thought Ryan would appreciate that one. I do appreciate 92.5 sister channel up in Edmonton. They do a great job. Good music. Okay. This is the shift podcast. Are you, are you, are you, okay, 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 are you okay with, you know, we opted to go to the airport and go to the Stanley Park Brewery uh, thing there in Terminal B and we drank lots yep. of beer, which was probably way more calories than your donuts. I got to tell you, I can guarantee you it's more calories than the donut. A hundred percent. It's more calories than the donut. Well, then Mel's flight was delayed and we, uh, we didn't even leave. Uh, she didn't even leave till when I left. And that was the whole point was, I mean, Yikes. we, our flights were uh, two gates apart. That was the plan. Mm. Anyway. Well, um, are you okay with a series of stories that might make you ponder or shake your head? Could go either way. Share your thoughts. 877-399-9898. Are you okay with AI music? Mm. I'm, not, I'm really, well, I'm okay with it if it's entertaining and it's good and you enjoy it. Absolutely. But I don't think that yeah. we can really call it an artist and. It would be music, but I, there's got to be a, some sort of category for it so it doesn't get tangled up with real singers. I think that's what it is. I, I mean, if it's amazing and you're like, hey, I like the song. Who made it? A computer. Okay, great. I, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to judge, but here's here's the way I look at it. If you ever watch <laughs> but just, AI. But I'm not going to judge, but I'm not going to judge, judge. Here's how I'm going <laughs> to judge you. Uh, if you watch AI try to do a movie or a person, you'll notice... They might get the details really right, but there's one part of the body that they can never quite get right, and it's the hands. If you look right. at AI during being used in footage and the hands, there's always something off about it. For some reason, not yet, it might change. The computer, the programming can't quite get 
how complicated our hands are. And so you might have good content, but then you look at the hands and you realize, ah, it's not the same. That's how I feel about AI music. It might sound pretty good, but then there's always something underneath where you're like, oh, wait a minute. Mm. And that's maybe just because of where it is right now. It's probably going to get way better to the point where I'm going to fall in love with a song and somebody's going to be like, hey, guess what? That's made by a computer. And I'm going to go, oh, cool. Great. Uh, but for now, you know, I think I'll I'll just kind of wait and see. See if it gets mm. better. Catherine says fake music. Nah. Music. Yeah. Um, Keep it with the real You know, music. I mean, I don't know. You can listen to Ryan's opinion, but he likes Taylor Swift and the Smiths. So... Well, I also what like if? Rush and Boston and Led Zeppelin. I like everything. Uh, what if? Remember when Tupac was a hologram? People were excited oh, to see him as worst. a hologram. Oh, but so they were bad. trying to do cool things, right? To be able to see, um, to be able to see, you know, your artist again. I mean, that's cool. I think that part would be cool. If they could animate someone, you know, that's dead and turn them back into a, a living sort of video anyway, that's kind of neat. Well, if you love the Beatles, you might be happy to hear they have a new song. More than 50 years after they broke up, the band is releasing one final new song. Now and then will be their swan song, they say. And it features all four of the Beatles. And it's thanks to AI. The Beatles music is loved across the universe and generations. Since they split, the surviving members have only released two previously unheard Beatles songs, those in the mid-90s. Now, 53 years since the Fab Four walked their separate ways, they're releasing what Paul and Ringo insist is their last ever song, with a little help from their friend, Artificial Intelligence. It's the last song that my dad and Paul and George and Ringo will get to make together. It uses an old recording of John Lennon singing a song called Now and Then, along with samples of George playing guitar. Paul called me up and said he'd like to work on Now and Then. He put the bass on, I put the drums on. Unlike some other AI music, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. This is all real audio. When you've got your cake, but AI has the ability to separate the eggs and the yeast and the batter and the butter and all of that stuff. And then you can put it all back together again. As a consumer, I'm excited because I love the Beatles. Musician Alice Offley is getting ready to perform at the legendary Abbey Road Studios. She's relieved the new song won't have any AI fakery. Yeah, well, it will be a special, special thing then. Is it coming next week? Yes. I can't wait. It's timeless music, isn't it? Timeless. Joe's distinctive accent is from Liverpool, proud home of the Beatles. I think if it's their song anyway, and people love it so much, it's only something positive in it, basically. Now and Then is out November 2nd. Redmond Channel Global News, London. Well, there you go. If it's creating mm -hmm. a new song and it can put things together, I mean, in this case, it sounds like it was really assembled by the Beatles just not put together, right? Incomplete. But if AI allows the Beatles to be complete, right? So uh, what's going to happen weird. sooner or later? Someone will start using AI to make music they sell as their own. It will get popular before people find that it's actually AI. That has already happened. There was some, some songs yeah, out the there Drake. that people, yeah, they didn't realize it wasn't mm -hmm. Drake, fake Drake or whatever they called it. And, um, and released it and everyone fell in love with it. Great song. And then it's not, um, but it's not actually a song by a person.
So, all right. Next Wednesday, the day before the song releases, 12-minute film that tells you the story of the new recording will be made public. Okay, that's that's encouraging. The surviving Beatles have skillfully released new projects like remixes of their old albums that include studio outtakes and Jackson's Get Back film, um, usually time to appeal to nostalgic fans around the holiday season, too. And it just is, uh, I think this is okay. I think they're they're working with their own material, which I think somehow makes this a little bit all right. I still think it should have to declare that it's AI was used to do this. Yeah, and uh, interesting on TikTok now, uh, any video that contains AI, there's a little badge at the bottom left corner of the screen, and it will say content in uh, artificial intelligence was used in creating this video. And I like that. It makes me feel a lot better I think about it. it. I think that's important. Yeah, huge. Um, I think that's hugely important. Yeah. Okay. Are you okay with... Got to grab a quote. Oh, bets. Eh, I like fun ones. Like, bet you I can hit my ball closest to the pin. I, 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 I like gambling too much. I don't take bets. I'd rather just, you know, roll my dice on something else. But I n- never really do like a bet thing. Like, I would never bet on sports, horses, any of it. Never. All right. Earlier this week, a man took a bold bet and got very wet in the process. Time to go to Florida. They have sharks in Florida and swamps and swamp sharks. You mean alligators? Maybe. Uh, wipe out. Okay. Um, a man visiting Walt Disney World went viral after he jumped into Epcot's World Showcase Lagoon this week. Caught on camera, a man jumps into a lagoon at Epcot. This happened when witnesses say it happened near the Italy Pavilion Monday afternoon. They say someone bet the man $6,000 that he wouldn't do it. We've reached out to Walt Disney World to find out what happened to that guest. We are still waiting to hear back. And we want to know if he got his money. Did he win the bet or lose the bet? I suppose would be the question. Other guests tried to convince him not to take the bet. You're going to get kicked out Disney, mister. Yeah, you're definitely going to get kicked out. Yeah. My mom's going to beat up your mom. Don't you mess around in Disney World. The man did it. T-shirt, shorts, Nike sneakers and all. At least he didn't get naked. That'd be weird. Uh, Police found the man's TikTok account and wanted to hear what happened next. Heard you got a lifetime ban from Disney. One caption on TikTok says, to which he responded, year ban, no fine, no arrest for everyone wondering. That's pretty good. One year ban. I hope he got some money. But also stop don't jump in that water do you want that water can you imagine how disgusting disney world florida water is all the diseases okay well you heard the story about shane pinto the ottawa senator center 41 game suspension for gambling yeah first of its kind in sports and you know what's hilarious is that he gets a ban for gambling and they have gambling advertisements on their helmets Bet 99. The picture of him, the picture of him saying, you know, suspended for gambling, breaking gambling rules, has his bet 99 in his helmet. And you know what else made the rounds about all this, which is really great, is when the Vegas Golden Knights collected the Stanley Cup. Mark Stone picks up the Stanley Cup and holds it up in front of a giant slot machine. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the rules are the rules. You can't, you know, can't work in a grocery store and steal the money either. So that part, I get it. Uh, the irony, though, 
Oh, the irony's a little thick, that's for sure. I mean, you mark my words, a few years from now, gambling as an addiction, things are going to get wild. So, um, that's a big suspension, though. Anyway. Big, huge. Yeah. You shouldn't have taken the bet, or at least you should have just maybe jumped in the Disney pond instead. Be a better idea. Except for the diseases, I'm assuming. Bacteria. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 